So if you've got a Bible near you, open it up to the book of Ruth, uh, pull out message notes, eaglechurch.com slash Sunday. You can follow the message notes there electronically. We've come to this space where uh, Ruth's life has unfolded in a way where she has no idea what in the world is going on, can't figure it out. And here's the setting, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled. So you see the book of Ruth is in the context of the book of Judges, spiritual groundhog day, same time frame. Here's the scene. There's a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. So you've got a lot of names and some locations here to get straight. So here's a map of the area of Moab. So you've got a family, Elimelech and Naomi. They're from the country, the space called Moab, which is just, it's modern-day Jordan. So it borders the eastern shores of the Dead Sea. And so the Moabites, the history on the Moabites is, uh, it's a prop, basically the group of people came from incest and deception. And so it was Lot's oldest daughter who was so desperate to get pregnant, she waited till her dad got so intoxicated that she slept with him and became pregnant through his child. Yeah, there are some sections of the Bible that are not PG-13, all right? So this is one of those times, right? So the Moabites are not known as a people for morality. You with me? That's how they started. And so there was a lot of tension between the Moabites and the Israelites. You could imagine how the Israelites might have looked upon the Moabites, not as the best citizens of the land, so to speak. And so you've got a family, Elimelech and Naomi, they're from Moab, the Moabite scene, and then they have children, Malon and Kilian. Now, verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one of them Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And so you've got, you got the picture of the characters here. So you've got uh, Elimelech and Naomi have two sons, Malon and Kilian, who both marry, and then all of the men die. So Kilian dies, Malon dies, Elimelech dies, most likely through some kind of illness or disease, something ran through the land, some type of plague of some sort is uh, the best example of that. And then, the, so basically you've got leaving Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth as widows. So there's your scene, similar to what Austin ran into in a nightclub recently, where lest you think this is just, you know, Book of Ruth chapter 1, this is everyday life for some, right? Where you just are in loss and subtraction and saying goodbye and death and grief, and it's just one after the other. And now verse 6, when she heard in Moab, this is Naomi hearing in Moab, that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them. Isn't that amazing? So the reputation of God around the surrounding area had reached all the way over to Moab. Bethlehem means house of food, because in that day when a famine struck the land, they didn't just have large storehouses to go. It was survival mode. It was just trying to make it to the next day. And there was a reputation that God had stepped in repeatedly for His people and provided for them. Naomi hears about this, a Moabite hears the Israelites, God of the Israelites seems to come through for His people. We should go there and see if we can find a way to continue to survive. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law is prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land 
of Judah. So Orpah decides she doesn't want to go. She's returning. She's going to go back to Moab. Not a lot of details there. She says, I'm out. So basically now we just have Naomi and Ruth making the trek to Bethlehem. And they decide they're going to go. And here's verse 15. See the scene here where Naomi is trying to talk her out of it. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law, speaking about Orpah's, going back to her people and her gods. Notice little g. We'll get to that in a minute. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. That's the sentence that the book of Ruth is most known for. Ruth saying to Naomi, no, I'm going to stay with you. I am not tapping out. Your people will be my people and your God, notice capital G, will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And so the God of the Moabites, here's the God, Kamash is his name. He's known as the destroyer. That's what his name means. So really welcoming temple to visit, right? Hey, go to the destroyer's temple, Kamash, and child sacrifice was just a regular part of their worship gatherings. So that's the backstory. So again, Moabites, their history, their, their gods and goddesses, it was a dark and desperate a place. It was a place where you just want to flee if you got immersed in there. But for whatever reason, Orpah goes back and Ruth just says, no, Naomi, I'm sticking with you. We're going to make it to Bethlehem. So verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Verse 19, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Catch this now. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Ruth chapter 1, the word for Ruth chapter 1 is emptying. The seasons of life where it's simply loss and subtraction and death and grief. It's the season where, where you look up and it's just famine and death and childless and widows, where it's illness, right? Loss of a loved one, infertility, you're jobless, you're spouseless, you're childless, you're homeless. Emptying, Ruth chapter 1. Here's when you know you're in an emptying season of life, when you feel like there's a residue of Mara settling around the lining of your soul. Mara, that kind of seeds of bitterness where you're just, you just don't know if you can take another wave of emptying. You feel like your, your cup is already drained dry and it continues to be drained. And you can't even get to the place where you're desperate enough to cry out about it. You're just, she just says, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Just call me Mara. That's when you know you're in emptying stages. And that's Ruth chapter 1. And that may be where this morning finds some of you. That you just, on the receiving end of what, you just wonder how much more can one take. And Ruth makes her way to Bethlehem childless, spouseless, pretty much homeless, fairly well directionless, and now she's thrust into a really, now she's got to survive, right? Famine and land, you just got to survive. You just got to make it to the next day. And some of you are in that season of life. You got so much going on, so much, you're just trying to make it to the next day. Ruth chapter 1, emptying. 
And when you're in the emptying stage, you eventually give way to the next phase, which is chapter 2, which we call wondering, the wondering stage. Chapter 2 says, Naomi had a relative on her, in her husband's side, the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing. His name was Boaz. So next key character in the book of Ruth is a man named Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So here's how that would work in the fields. Here's what the men would go through the fields with. It's like a sickle. Can you put that picture up? So that's what they would go through and they would take the field. That's how they would harvest the crops. It's harvest season in Bethlehem. So the men would be going through with the sickle, and the women would come behind and bind the kind of the sheaves together. They would bind the stalks together, and naturally, there would be some leftovers. And say, Ruth says, I know what I can do. It's harvest season. All this is going on in the fields. I'm just going to go and scour the field of Boaz and get the leftovers. It'd be equivalent of modern-day dumpster diving, right? So that's their version of dumpster diving back in the day. It's basically taking the leftovers, taking anything just to survive, to make it to the next day. And she's going to Boaz's field, and Boaz takes notice of her. He notices that she's there, and she's working hard, and she's one who just is, you know, surviving. He asks about her and says, who is this? And they say, well, she's just here day by day and collecting enough so that she can continue to the next day. And that's when you know you're in kind of, you know you've, you've moved from emptying to wondering when you're thrust into this large space of uncertainty where you have no idea how you got to where you are. You look at, you look at your life, you go, is this really my life? How did I get here? Why am I here? Where is this going? Is this as good as it's going to get? When you're in that space right there, you're in root chapter 2, you're in the wondering phase. Emptying moves way to wondering. And when you hit that space, I think Ruth gives us a great example here. What do you do? You get up each day and you just do the next right thing you know to do. Don't make it any more complicated than that. Ruth's like, I got to survive. I got to have food for Naomi. She's caring for kind of an aging and slightly depressed mother-in-law in the midst of everything else, being childless, being spouseless, being homeless, and now she's caring for kind of an aging relative who's probably not doing great mentally and emotionally. She's struggling with Mara through and through her bones, so she's trying to care for that. It's like, I've just got to do that. Next thing I need, I just got to get food. And there's a reputation that Boaz would be a good field to go to. It's somehow connected to Naomi. I'm going to go to Boaz's field, and I'm just going to collect food. I'm going to do the next right thing I know to do. And what happens, that's what the Lord steps in, right? He just links up into that space. Verse uh, 20, she goes home. She tells Naomi that she's in Boaz's field, and she's working, and she's getting food, and Boaz is taking care of her. Verse 20 of chapter 2, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our, underline this in your Bibles, our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it would be good for you, my daughter, to go with the girls because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. You know, that if you were a young gal from the Moabite territory in an Israelite field by yourself, you could see it was, a, right, you're exposed. It was not a very safe place to be. Verse 23, so Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with 
her mother-in-law. So Naomi sees a ray of light coming into her emptying season through this kinsman redeemer. She says, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And I put in your notes what that means. So the backstory on this phrase is the oldest living relative to the widow becomes the kinsman redeemer. The male relative to Ruth, who's the oldest living since she had lost her husband, Malon, she's now widowless, she's childless, so the kinsman redeemer would become her husband and would produce children through her, would help provide for her needs physically, would help handle her business transaction. That's what the kinsman redeemer did. And Naomi says, oh my goodness, Boaz can be your kinsman redeemer. He's related to you. This is, again, going from emptying, going to wondering, just doing the next right thing you know to do, and God steps in and kind of links it up to something that they could have never imagined. And so, verse 3, uh, or chapter 3, moves into this next phase of the story where basically Naomi instructs Ruth, hey, go to Boaz and let him know that you're interested in him being your kinsman redeemer. So we're going to read here a section where a lot of culture, uh, cultural practices here to unpack, but basically I want you to think of it much like a marriage proposal today, much like a man getting down on one knee is kind of here what Ruth is doing with Boaz, chapter 3, verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached him quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. See, that's the key phrase right there. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he said. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. Look at this sentence. And all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Wow, how powerful. What does that tell you about Ruth's life and the example that she set when she got to Bethlehem? Just the way she went about herself, the way she carried herself day by day, even though her mother-in-law was going through a tough stretch, even though she was going through an emptying season, even though she had way more questions than answers, she just did the next right thing she knew to do. She did it with the best effort she could, great work ethic, selflessness, sacrifice, going to the fields day after day, working hard, taking care. Her reputation is growing, which made me think, isn't it true perhaps in the emptying and wondering seasons of life? Those just don't shape you, but do they not reveal you? For sure they shape you. A big part of what's going on in some of your journeys is God working, forming, and shaping, yes, but I wonder if what's happening with Ruth here is a good window for all of us. When you hit the emptying stages, where it's Mara around every corner, where you hit the wondering, where it's just one question mark without an answer, filled with the space of uncertainty. I wonder if those are the seasons when we're revealed. Well, where the substance in here really comes to the surface as it's put on display, good or bad. Like it could be, right? Probably a mixed bag for all of us. Like it's pressed to the surface. And Ruth now is this amazing woman of character. She basically offers a proposal to Boaz, the whole sheet with the feet and laying at his feet, all of that. It's just a way of saying, I would like you to receive me as my kinsman redeemer. 
and Boaz is so taken back in her character. Ruth's just being Ruth since she got there, right? She's just showing up, providing for needs, selflessly serving, not chasing after young Israelite men. Obviously, Boaz probably a little bit older here. That's what the reference, like, hey, you didn't go chase after a lot of other young guys that you probably could have gotten, and that just shows, again, about her character. So chapter 4 now, as we kind of bring this home in the storyline, here's how Boaz responds. Verse 13, chapter 4, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you. Circle renew and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better, look at this line, is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Wow. How about that? So the reputation of Ruth, better care for Naomi than seven sons could have provided. That's a, that's a tremendous compliment given to her and her character there. So here's the third word for the morning, right? So you've got Ruth chapter one, you've got this emptying stage where you've got Mara around every corner of your life, where it's just death and loss and subtraction and heartache, emptying, 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 gives way to Ruth chapter two, wondering, where you're just entered in this space of uncertainty where you're childless, you're homeless, you're jobless, you're in the middle of a famine, you can't figure out how you're just going to get to the next day. You're just wondering, you're filled with all these questions with very little response of an answer. You're just doing the next right thing you know to do, even if it's hour by hour. It eventually gives way to Ruth 3 and 4, which is filling. This is the filling stage, right? Ruth could have never imagined when she just said, I'm going to stick with you, Naomi, that this is where the story was going to unfold, right? Ruth 3 and 4 remind us that the times of renewing and sustaining do come from the Lord, like it said in verse 15. In the filling seasons are times when Boaz enters the picture, kind of out of blue. Times when the pieces of the puzzle come together. Times when the hurt is being healed. Times when the darkness is being pushed back. Times when the goodness of God is like tangibly being experienced around the corners of your life. Times when Mara gives way to true joy in the inmost place. Do you see this happen with Ruth? Like the loss of Malon, hear this now, became the gain of Boaz in Ruth 3 and 4. The departure from Moab became an entry into a community called Israel. The barrenness of her former chapters give way to a fruitfulness here in the latter chapters. And I think in this, Ruth's story is a little bit of the story of all of us. I think if you live enough life long enough, you're going to experience this same Ruth-like rhythm to living. But there's going to be emptying, there's going to be wondering, and then there's going to be filling. And I think Ruth's story reminds us it's that the, the emptying stages of life, they like they perform like the, the setup. They're the prerequisite to the filling. The emptying prepares for the filling that God wants to bring. If the cup of our life is already filled up with a whole lot of other things that perhaps God is wanting to empty out, He's got to get us to empty as a precursor to the filling that He wants to bring. And that's why the first two parts are so difficult for us to see and understand. It's that emptying stage that makes room for the filling that God wants to bring. 
That's how the story of Ruth, I think, is the story of all of us. And then look how it winds up, verse 16 and 17. Naomi takes the child, lays him on her lap, and cares for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Are you kidding me? That's a loaded statement. Do you see that, church? A a widowed woman from Moab becomes the great-grandfather of King David and eventually lands in the family tree of Jesus, only God. Which, by the way, if you trace Boaz's lineage, Boaz's lineage goes through Rahab in the book of Joshua. So picture that. I wonder if Boaz's heart towards the one who kind of landed in a place they never imagined being, I wonder if it's tied to the recognition of what Rahab was in this story and recognizing God has a heart for the overlooked and the oppressed and the forgotten and the one who just can't see how they're going to get through what they're going through. That's this. Who would have, Ruth would have never, you mean I'm tied to the line of David, to the family tree of Jesus? Yes. As a Moabite, as a widow, childless, spouseless, homeless? Yes. Do you see? And in that, isn't that a beautiful picture that the emptying doesn't get the last word? And some of you are some of you in a place in life these days, and you just go, you just feel like emptying is the end. Or maybe it's wondering. Some of you feel like you're just living in a perpetual waiting space in between, question after question, no answer, just, just how much longer, oh Lord, you just feel like the wondering is going to get the last word. And Ruth's story reminds us that God says, no, I'm going to get the last word. And with the last word, all that emptying made room for the filling that I'm going to provide. Ruth, I'm going to write a story that you could have never written. You wouldn't have written yourself into the Lion of David and the family tree of the Messiah, but I did. But to get you from where you were to here, from here to there, I got to take you through some emptying and some wondering. So worship team, why don't you come back up? It's going to have you start playing a little bit here. Lead us into a time of communion because I think this sets us up for the table. It was about 10 days ago, I was down in Nashville. Kendra and I were at the General Council of the Alliance. It's a gathering of about 2,500 pastors and missionaries from around the world. They do it every two years. And uh, it was a Wednesday morning session. They were leading through, and the person leading at the front said, if you've come into this gathering just bone-weary, tired, just kind of at the end of yourself across all fronts, she didn't even get her question out, and I stood up. You ever been there? I just stood up. I didn't know she was going to ask for people to stand up. I just stood up. And I'm looking around the room going, how are not all of you standing up? A room full of pastors and missionaries going through the last 18 months that we've all been living. It's been a really hard time to be a human in the world, and it's made the job of trying to be a spirit. I've just, I've just been at the end of my, I've tried to, you know, I've shared with you, I've just been fatigued. I've been just discouraged, overwhelmed, just, con- I'm just done. I've just been spent. End of my rope, God's address found there. I just stood up, said, Lord. And then she did lead through a time. She's like, hey, anybody else? And there were several in the room who eventually stood up. And uh, about 10 or 15 people gathered around me and put their arms shoulder, just got super emotional at that point and just started weeping. And, and they just prayed. The person at front, just like the team's doing here, was just leading through kind of instrumentally. And the, 
the group of pastors and missionaries. I didn't know, they didn't know my name. I didn't know, I didn't know anybody who was praying for me. I knew none of them. They didn't know my name. I didn't know their name. After about 10 minutes or so of praying, um, the person at the front said, hey, before you're seated, I just want to give an opportunity that maybe those who are praying for you have something that they feel like the Lord wants you to know. And uh, this one young man in front of me said, hey, Eric, I, I think Jeremiah, it's Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. In the year of drought, you will not fail to bear fruit. And then another man off of my right shoulder leaned forward and said, Eric, while we were praying, I had this image of a large desert, wilderness. And you look at your life right now and it feels very desert-like, but the Lord wants you to know there's this massive body of water rising underneath you and fruitfulness has come. There were some other words shared as well. And so for me, church, I've been in the, the emptying and the wondering. That's where this morning finds me. Holding on that, that's all laying the groundwork for some filling that God's going to bring at some point. I don't know, uh, but I suspect I'm not alone. And so if you've come in this morning and, and maybe you're in a place where you identify so much with Ruth and her and Naomi in the first section of their life, and it's just been crying out some Mara-type stuff. A lot of emptying. Maybe it's given way to a lot of wondering. You're just in that space in between. You just go, I can't. I can't see. I, I can't understand. I, I don't know. And you're just trying to kind of make it to the next hour or day. I just want you to stand up. Just want you to stand up right where you are. You say, hey, you know, it's me. I, I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. And if God's address is there, I need, I need God to show up. You just stand up right where you are. Now, for all of you who are kind of seated, right, I want you to get up around someone, place an arm on a shoulder of someone standing. Whether you know them or not, it's fine. Just gather around them. Place an arm on a shoulder. Let's make sure no one's standing alone. Let's make sure there's a good group of hands on people's shoulders and arms and and then just like, uh, just like the gift that I received in, in Nashville, I want to give some time for you. Just, just pray now. Pray for the person. If you don't know their name, maybe whisper. make sure you have their name. At least get their name through the circle there. And, and just pray. Let the Spirit lead you. And just spend a couple of minutes just, just praying out as a group. Everybody just kind of praying all at the same time here. The team will just kind of play lightly, and then we'll move towards communion. And those of you that are praying for those, um, you know, maybe it's at the end of the service or something. If you feel like as you're 
standing and praying with them that God's given you maybe a scripture, an image, something you just want to encourage them with. Uh, let me encourage you to, to make sure and follow through on that. Um, have the conversation. Father, you see those standing before you. Maybe some seated, maybe some at home right now standing. Those of you at home, you know, you can stand if that's you. Like, we're standing and are emptying and are wondering. Trusting in Jesus' name that you'll bring a filling in your time and your way. May it be so. Breathe your life and your hope and your strength into this season, Lord. Demonstrate that you're Emmanuel, God, with us right here, right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.